Hello, and welcome to More Like This, the present company miniseries bringing you exclusive conversations with the directors of three of Netflix's biggest films of 2021, The Power of the Dog, Tick, Tick, Boom, and The Lost Daughter. Today, we're at the Directors Guild of America in Los Angeles, about to hear from writer and director Jane Campion on how her breathtaking film, The Power of the Dog, came to life. This conversation will be led by filmmaker Kimberly Pierce, who made waves in 1999 with her groundbreaking debut feature film, Boys Don't Cry. I am so honored and excited to bring on stage the fantastic Jane Campion. Wow and wow. So I have had the great uh, pleasure. My name is Kimberly Pierce. I'm also a a film uh, writer and director and very proud of our new theater. Um, And I had the great fortune of seeing uh, this movie a few months ago uh, at Netflix's beautiful screening room and was totally blown away. And we started a conversation in Telluride uh, which has left me pretty spellbound, and I just resaw the movie. So uh, I kind of want to say to Jane, if there's anything in particular after all these Q&As that you want to talk about, I'd love to hear, and obviously I have questions prepared and new thoughts, but is there anything that comes to you in the middle of all of this? Um, well, this is a surprise. <laughs> Uh, You know, the word preparation comes to my mind. Um, Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about, um, you know, doing a few Q&As does lead you to think about what you're saying and what you're talking about and what you've done. And um, I was thinking about meeting the other directors and about to do a roundtable or something, and I really can't wait to talk to them about the issues that really affect us, and I believe quite a few people here are directors as well. But it's just that um, amazing burden of imagination that uh, that is the work that I think of directing, really. Uh, when you begin to work with your script or anybody's script and you start to know you're going to have to manifest it somehow and you have to imagine how it's going to be, and you have to imagine that, sometimes without even knowing what your locations are or who your actors are. Um, so <laughs> it's quite a work, you know, and I, I actually think it's pretty stressful. You have to imagine it in all sorts of weather, you know, like you don't have the luxury usually of choosing the weather that you're going to have and or, or figuring out what scenes you want to protect. Like this scene just must be done in beautiful weather. Um, we have to shift everything around to do it, and you know, you, you say that to your first assistant, and they sort of nod at you, knowing it's probably not going to be possible. <laughs> um, and just like you know, just the work of imagining and protecting, imagining and protecting, and supporting, and um, then the, you know, the actors arrive. Nobody's quite ready. Everything looks shambolic. Um, <laughs> And, and, and you are sort of imagining beyond to where we are now and giving people the grace to grow, um, to become what they need to be. 
um, and you're imagining, yeah, I mean, in, in a way it's that act of faith that, that is so, um, so important for the director to, to have so that people can grow into that faith and uh, find their feet. And then uh, once the filming actually starts, I mean, I can actually remember saying to my first assistant on the first day of shooting, after this sort of massive imagination work and also drawing and imagining the scene in every sort of different way, I just don't know if I know how to do this. <laughs> I, just, I just can't imagine now how it can actually happen. I mean, how does it actually work? You know, I just can't sort of seem to see it, you know. <laughs> and he said, Jane, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. We're going to put the camera down, we're going to put some people in front of it <laughs> and we're going to shoot it. I said, oh, yeah, okay, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's how we do it. That's how we do it. And it's sort of this miracle that happens when you're sort of um, thinking, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> um, but you're, you know, faking along with the rest of us. Um, and then the, the, you, you start to look through the lens and you immediately go, oh, no, that's not right. This, is, this should be here. Something sort of takes over and this sort of sense of play and knowing comes through. Um, which is my favourite thing. <laughs> uh, just, just feeling that um, excitement and playfulness on the set, you know, when you start to feel that and the energy and the um, delight of uh, images coming to life um, and actors coming in and surprising you. And anyway, so the day one of shooting is the end of the burden of imagination and it's the, the beginning of the, you know, whatever you're manifesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's a bit of something. <laughs> I mean, that's gorgeous, right? Uh, but it's so interesting because my first question was about what grabbed you about the story. Even if you can go back in a, a seminal kind of director moment of was there something, an image, a feeling that, that grabbed you? And as you say, it's so beautiful that you get to the point of almost shooting and you have to then be scared or surrender it in order to find the play? Is there anything that in particular evolved in an unexpected way? Um, so my um, journey with the material was um, based first of all on just this enormous respect. Uh, that I had for the work that Thomas Savage did with his novel. Uh, it's not easy to, to find a really great narrative. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but I think um, it's... Okay, so that's interesting. You don't think it's necessarily a great narrative. I think it's fundamentally powerful. Oh, I, I think the narrative is yeah. myself, but I don't know what they think. And, and the myth. <laughs> well, may, maybe you shaped it more, but the, the myth that you came up with and particularly seeing it the second time and being even more mesmerized. Like, I'm amazed at what you distilled it into. Yeah, I oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, but my first thing is like, um, oh my God, this is, this is Thomas Savage's life, you know? You can feel it in the work, in the source material, and I believe it. And it's such, um, I don't know what, what I'm saying, it's just such a sturdy base. For, for me to begin with. And no matter how we peel this onion, this story, it, it never failed us. You know, it, it, 
you never got to the bottom of it. There was always more. It was always interesting. It, it, it always, like, the themes stuck together. It wasn't like, ooh, don't let's open that door. That's, uh, that's not going to get us anywhere good. <laughs> um, it just works, you know. The story just works, and, you know, in a thematic way, in a way where the characters um, are stretched and exposed and come to a crisis and, you know, in fact, to a, you know, an end, and it's sort of a, you know, a, a really tragic portrait at heart. And um, one of the... Well, one of the, um, I suppose, inspirations that I use, because I love to actually collect materials as well. Like, I love to go outside of film, because when you, you know, you, you just go like, oh, let's look at some films to inspire me. Then you have that feeling of, like, copying, you know? And you don't want to do that. So I like to go to art, um, and not even photographs if possible, because they, they're more expressive. And I looked at a lot of Lucy and Freud, and um, I kept, you know, remembering... Phil bathing naked in, mm. the, in the water and I, that sort of... <laughs> you, you did a great job because I immediately thought of those bodies. Yeah. With him in the water. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, th I, I remember thinking, Phil, you're not fooling me. I'm going to get your clothes off. <laughs> and you are beautiful underneath, you know, all that. You're dangerous and you're beautiful and you're a lover. And all that intimacy, particularly in that scene, him with the scarf, yeah. with the Bronco Henry, the B&H on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's something that, um, you know, Benedict just shocked me with, really, when we did that work. I mean, when we were in the rehearsal room and he was playing around the scarf, he was like, as Phil, a little bit irritated with it to begin with. And he was saying, oh, this doesn't feel very good. And I was going like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, it's silk, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't care what it is. It doesn't feel very good. And I said, Ben, I want you to, I want you to love this. <laughs> I want you to find a way to love this uh, silk scarf because it belonged to Bronco. Uh, whatever it feels like, it's uh, Bronco's gift. That's all you've got of him. And what did you get when you said that? It snarled a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just left it there. And then later he told me, oh, I can't remember ever saying anything about the scarf. <laughs> but, you know, I, th I think that is an you know, act of defence as well, that quite often um, with their props they can be really fussy because they're feeling like they're leaning, have to lean into them, have to be inspired by them and, that you know, they're agitated by the fact that it might not feel absolutely perfect. I remember with Holly Hunter when we did the, um, the piano, that the piano that we had the... Um, like the film piano, was was a very old style of like table piano and actually really quiet. And when she came in and she played it, she actually walked out of the rehearsal room. And we were like, you know, just little New Zealanders going, oh, what's happening? <laughs> the stars left. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and later on, I rang her up and I said, well, what's the matter? Whatever is wrong, we'll do something to fix it. And she said, I'm not speaking in this film. And my piano... Is like a whisper. <laughs> I said, don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be all replaced. And she said, what replaced? <laughs> ADR, you know. I said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll mic the piano. We'll make it louder, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, I think. <laughs> well, on your part or on their part? On everybody's part? On, on everybody's part. And, you know, I, I sort of see the director's role as... Um, 
well, I see my role is to try and just love them no matter what, you know. <laughs> and know that they are out there, they're going to be exposed, you know. And, um, and I, I have a love of them because, I, you know, I do see the courage that's there. And, um, I, you know, it is the courage in actors, it is their talent, it is that capacity to get in that flow. But more often than not, you're not in the flow. You know, you're on your way to the flow or, or it's just not quite happening, you know. Um, and so, you, you, you know, you're going to look a bit idiotic at times as an actor. Or I mean, anyway, it's not idiotic to be wanting to be in the flow, but you can feel a bit, you know, I wasn't quite there. So you have to be able to withstand a lot of mistakes. You do and, or, and I think that's do. what directing is. It's like making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And do you feel like you know when the flow is hitting you and when it's not? Do you can you can kind of tell when it's there? Yeah. Um, I don't know if actors always know. <laughs> Interestingly, um, but I decided, you know, at one point to really get a listening for what they were doing, and I think it was about the stage I did uh, Bright Star, when I was really wanting a more relaxed performance and was not accepting anything that I just didn't totally believe. So I just told myself, I'm not going to react unless I really believe what's happening. Um, so you kind of forced them to earn it or to bring it out or to, to be in a place that you could it, relate? It wasn't a trick or anything. It was just honest. Yeah, so it did work like that, though, that they would, to begin with, I didn't even know what I, quite what the problem was, but I knew I didn't believe what was going on, you know, in the rehearsal room. And I think with period drama, you get that a lot more. People want to hold teacups and things in odd ways. <laughs> it's true. And then um, finally, you know, like it was two or three days and they were getting quite agitated. And, um, you know, Ben was just sort of sitting at a desk or something, not doing anything, but just sort of looking at a spot on the ground. And I noticed myself really attentively watching him. And I thought, oh, I believe this guy. And it's, you know, like it's attention. You know, you take your attention away from things that feel fake, right? So it's that um, learning not to, um, not to reward fakeness, you know? But I mean, you don't have to actually learn to do it because you actually aren't interested. But to allow yourself to occupy a space of not being interested yeah. is profound on a movie set. Where well, this is in the rehearsal room where we, you know, work it up. And then I'd say, hey, I'm, what are you doing? I'm really, I'm really suddenly, I'm really interested in what's happening. And just sort of say it. And then they start to be confident that it's okay to do nothing. It really comes down to that it's okay to do nothing, just to be, just to be. That being is the most fascinating thing ever. Do you guys know what I mean? Yeah. I can hear they know. <laughs> and, 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 and what about the scene? Um, oh, there's so many brilliant scenes. But particularly when he finally, he has the arsenic and he's put it onto the ropes and they're having that moment together where you go around them. Yeah, that was an interesting um, scene, actually. And um, please do notice that one because I, I was concerned with that scene that we didn't, um, you know, like it read very well in the book, but, you know, that's one scene I got up on its 
feet in the rehearsal room, and is that something I often do with scenes that I'm a little suspicious of? Um, what were you suspicious of? Um, that it was an important moment and it mightn't work. And did it not work? <laughs> and how did the how was the camera going to work with what they were doing? You know, like I had imagined that scene and I just couldn't quite feel it. I was imagining it from like distance, from close, from a lot of different things, and I started to think. Um, that I had to get in there with it, I had to follow in, and you know that was done with a steady cam that we just went around. I think it was about two shots really in the end, um, but we did quite a number of takes on it. And anyway, in the rehearsal room, we did strike some problems. It just didn't seem to be anything when he, you know, like it's such a big deal in the book when he puts his, when Peter puts his hand on Phil, and um, but in reality, in the rehearsal room, it just didn't seem like much, you know. I was thinking, well, how am I going to do it with the camera or whatever? And, and I had my um, choreographer with me because I had this idea about having a choreographer around. He was a fabulous, beautiful, spirited guy who worked in a modern dance way, like we observes human behaviour and um, to come up with his pieces. So he's a very good observer of people. And he was he's saying, oh, do you mind if I watch? And I said, no, no, come and watch. <laughs> We don't know what we're doing. Maybe you can <laughs> help. And um, he said, uh, while he was watching for a while, he said, oh, you know what? There's this thing that we do in dancing that I really love. Or when a man puts his hand around a woman's neck, mm. just on the neck, and we all listened to him. We said, oh, okay, we'll give that a go. And it, it, well, it's because it's what you might do if you're about to kiss someone. It definitely well. feels like we're leading into some kind of possible sensual or sex scene. So there, then what happened? Yeah. So, um, well, we used that, you know. And I, I did think it lifted the stakes quite a lot. Um, and then because we shot the two scenes one after the other quite close by, like, and, you know, um, Cody Smith McPhee had the smart idea to just go straight back into the um, barn. So we actually shot the inter the pieces with the strips later and Phil wasn't uh, Ben wasn't expecting them mm. so he just turned up at the back of the barn and you know like the scene continued and um, that was nice that was nice of uh, Cody to think of that so I mean that scene um, I mean we we're all sort of hiding in one of the stalls looking at a little you know <laughs> a monitor uh, in the barn and uh, I was crouching there with Tanya, who was beside me quite a bit, and we were going like, what do you think? <laughs> do you think it's working? <laughs> so, I'm just not sure, I'm just not sure. And, uh, you know, at times I thought that, you know, like we did it so often we couldn't remember what we'd done actually. <laughs> but it was probably shot at about 20 times. What changed yeah. as you kept shooting it? What well, do you it was think really you were... beautiful to notice for me anyway that they, the guys just really kept at it. You know, they'd fade off. And then they'd find some new energy. You know, like I, I have read about how some directors do 70 takes or something like that, but that's not been my habit. I um, like do between, like to do more than one just in case there's some mistake. <laughs> um, but maybe between sort of three and five, and if the actors ask for another one, I go, yeah, why well not? Sure. <laughs> um, seven, you know, but. So this was a lot of takes for me. And I really did need them all. 
It was really interesting later in the edit, yeah. But they did come, they did steam up to sort of some real emotion and then they moved off it and, you know, and it was the more emotional takes that worked the best, yeah. So you were building throughout the takes to this emotional... I didn't tell them to do anything, actually. In the <laughs> I mean, in the editing room. In the edit room, we just looked at everything and the same thing. You know, what do I believe? What do I believe? You know, I don't believe that. I believe this moment. I believe that hand just, you know, holding and then re-holding, you know? These little things. So it's, to me, all about um, what can I lean on? What do I trust, you know? The vulnerability in the movie is extraordinary. I mean, and I feel the movie go into a kind of high gear, yeah. particularly that time when he's on the horse and he almost falls, you know, when he's riding down. Oh, d down to find the cow? Yeah. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I feel like from that point forward, it's just so clear that he's on this objective. Yeah, I think probably that's from watching it once already. <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. I think it's quite hard to know what's going on the first time. And I mean, I love... <laughs> no, I don't think you do know. I yeah. mean, and that was what was amazing. Should, I don't know how you could know, so... Yeah. yeah. But, but in re-watching it, the, you're so yeah. painstaking about laying the clues and the movements yeah. forward. Yeah. And we're so caught up in yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's my job, to try and, you know, keep those tent, pole, tent poles in the right spot so when you go back, yeah, it's, it's still up there. So suspense which is something that amazes me about your work, because I'm a, a big fan of everything she's done, but particularly the piano, where you give us, she talks in the beginning very much like he does, and kind of lays the groundwork for, I think, what's to come, right? Because he, doesn't he say, my father died and I had to protect my mother? Something of that kind. Yeah, yeah so we know, you know, we know there's a danger coming, we just don't know where it's going to spring at us. That yeah. is a, quite amazing to me, even in re-seeing it. I'm just like, oh, God, what's going to happen, even though I know what's going to happen? <laughs> so do you want to talk about pressing the gas on suspense and too much, not enough, because it's so perfectly calibrated? Yeah, I mean, that is the thing with suspense, that you, you, you have to figure out how to calibrate it because, um, you know, the story's got too much of an engine. I mean, it's sort of like the engine of the piece, you know, what sort of a purr it has or is it going to speed up towards the end? And I think this one is a slow start and then it accelerates um, and it, it's it's to do with like you know how much information um, you need to put through it and you know if you've got a very high calibrated engine it's all it's all story mm. you just don't have room for you know Phil taking you know, spending time with a scarf or something you know it's very hard to um, not then the, you know the narrative has a kind of demand level uh, which I find um, in some ways exciting, in some ways later, you know, you, you love it as a narrative when it's going on and on and on and then you get to the end and you think, oh, that's kind of empty, you know? Mm. Great, good good story energy, but I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't learn anything about the characters or, you know, it didn't, didn't, it didn't really take me on a very deep ride. So for, for me, I, you know, I enjoy some, you know, enjoy you just trying to figure out what's the, what's the correct engine for this kind of story when it's a beautiful engine having rewatched it um <laughs> i mean and, and this one does change you know like it's it's you know we just have to trust that um you know we're laying down the groundwork really for his um for phil having set up his own demise you know and then the beautiful scene and you'll know the dialogue correct but it's uh my father said i was too strong 
Yeah. And then the beautiful moment when Phil is like, oh, you that's too strong. Yeah. <laughs> Talk you got about that, that wrong. Yeah. yeah. That, that really felt like you, we <laughs> that's just a, that's dig a, in. Yeah, that's a beautiful I scene love that in moment. the book. And, and it's such a gentle little scene. And you think, what's in this scene? When I tell you what's in that scene, the whole story's in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> the whole story. And um, it's one of my favorite scenes in the book. And, you know, it just, it, it just, fell out perfectly and it was like I don't know we probably shot about five minutes that day um in not very long time you know and it, you know when you when you when it's when a scene or the work has that beautiful flow I mean it's the whole rabbit thing the rabbit hiding the injured one the way the boy disposes of it Phil's sort of respect shock surprise that he's that got that capacity and then that sort of beautiful conversation where the two men well the two boys man you know share for the first time probably the first conversation we've heard in the whole movie and they actually still show some compassion for him um at the same time winding him up about his mother you know well the stuff about the alcoholism and then the beautiful stuff about that he took his father down that seems to be the thing that hits phil the most right that he took the father down from hanging himself yeah and then the blood that you did so beautifully on the on the grass. On the grass, yeah, from Phil's hand, yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of setting up the wound, yeah. And you stay on that for quite a while. I, looks, I mean, in a good way. That looks bad, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I even think, because he just stares at the wound, because yeah. he knows that that's the opportunity. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I well, mean, it's very brave of him. He, I mean, I guess he doesn't really, you know, like the mother sets up the real opportunity. Um, you know, by removing all the hides and setting off Phil's temper tantrum and then, you know, there's no hides left to finish the rope except the one he's got. Right. Just to talk about Kristen. The poison chalice, yeah. Which is beautiful. Is there more to say about that? Because it's it's so amazing when he sinks his hands into the water and you go underwater and the audience probably didn't know, right, that there was arsenic in there, right? You know something though, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's gone pink and, you know, you just... I don't know, you must know it means, it has to in a story like this, it's going to mean something. And Kristen, time to go to them? Yeah. Okay, one more, and then we'll go to the audience. Uh, her face is extraordinary and profound in a sense of, uh, it's just a source You're of... Talking pain. Kirsten? Yes. yes. Source of you. humor yeah. and pain. Yeah. Like when she goes and she's drunk and she goes out when the hides, you know, and she's got the gloves, I mean, she's... Talk about her, it's just... I just fall in love with Kirsten yeah. more deeply every day. <laughs> yeah. She's, um, she's an actor who I've loved since uh, seeing her in Virgin Suicide. Sophia's beautiful work. It's like to, you know, that, that tragic quality that um, it's almost like a Gina Rollins or, you know, in a young person sort of feeling thing that she has of that sort of fated um, beauty. Um, and I think as Kirsten gets older, it's just more profound in a way, um, more touching, you know, more homely even. And, the, you know, the homely, loving, feminine presence of her, uh, the trustingness, the goodness that she seems to have. Uh, it, it hurts me that, you know, she's so um, gaslit and betrayed by Phil. And I think that Kirsten just has these qualities so perfectly. And she's, you know, like, um, Kirsten's always true. 
But just, you know, like in all our rushes, you don't see anything that's not true. It's pretty rare. It's very rare. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know. I mean, melancholia, that's another example of mm. extraordinary work. You know, I don't know if people here have seen melancholia, but... You... Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing, Kirsten has the same birthday as me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> not yeah, but... And so does Lars von Trier. <laughs> when, when is your birthday? Trivial fact, April 30th. <laughs> Anyone else here April 30th? <laughs> and I want to get to the audience, but she's unselfconscious too about her body, and that's why, particularly in that scene when she goes out after the hides, yeah. and you can see her breasts, and she's just her her gown, and I mean her dress. I just think she gives, she doesn't give a damn. Yeah. You know? At this point, she's like, you know, fuck Phil. Yeah. You know, I'm going to give those hides away. Was he going to burn them? I'm going to, you know. And I think there's this feeling like, you know, that that little Indian boy or is the same for her as her boy, you know, and that, well, you know, why should those people be treated badly, you know? They need something. I've been poor. They're poor. They can have them, you know? It's my husband's farm too, you know, or <laughs> ranch. No, we agree with her, but we're terrified for what she's going to you know, come into. And I just don't think she gives a damn. I mean, that's <laughs> one useful thing about the alcohol at that point. <laughs> but she does want to have some strength in his face, right? That's the, why else would she go to the effort to do that? I mean, isn't it a kind of... I, I, I didn't know if she could manage that in front of Phil. Yeah, yeah. But um, she does the thing which triggers his, his end, you know, which is give away the hide, so that it's temper tantrum, and then the whole thing spills, spills out. And, you know, I love that she does that. Um, and, and then, you know... George becomes aware of her drinking and, um, yeah. Was there anything that you said to Cody? Uh, he's, he's so transformative. Like, he starts out, there's versions of, I mean, I, we want to be careful about the word sissy, but that, that was a term that was used. But his transformation is extraordinary. Did you shape that much? Did that, how did that come about? Um, well, it's really beautiful hearing Cody talk about it um, because... I mean, he says that I really pushed him. <laughs> what would he say I you pushed him to do? Pushed him to change his preparation style, you know, like to open up about it more, to let me support him, to, let, to you know, give it a shake around. To, you know, he says, oh, I've got my method, my dad taught me, and, you know, and I'm like, why do you need your dad to teach you, you know? <laughs> you, could, you could figure out yourself, maybe there's other people that could help you other than daddy, you know? <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but, you know... <laughs> Sounds like you pushed him. <laughs> we want to hear more about this technique. What and else? Then, I mean, and he says he was really grateful in the end because, you know, sometimes you need a, um, a push. And, you know, I, su I suggested he works with some Alexander Technique people to try to just really, not just to add something, but to go to get the walk, however he had it, it was described in the book, you know as a stiff-legged walk, um, and to like to really explore that in his body, not something you put on top, you know, and to find a, a way that it, um, it feels essentially him. And, uh, I mean, Cody actually is kind of a genius human. He's got a lot of philosophical ideas, and I used to love, you know, winding him up about them too, and and listening to him because he's so interesting. It's like his view of opposites and truth, good and evil, you know, fate <laughs> I mean 
and at one point I did a very complicated voiceover which was just really full of Cody's uh, beliefs in the world. Um, in the end, it was so complicated you couldn't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, uh, did another simpler version of it, which is in the film now. But Cody's a delicate human. He's, um, he's strong and himself, like Peter, he's very strong and, you know, yet very delicate. Um, and, and he also finds, you know, everything very funny and he loves, you know, winding us all up or making jokes at us as well. Um, but, you know, in truth, I didn't really feel I did very much. I, I really felt it was all there with him, you know. And yet you probably did a lot more than maybe you even realise. Yeah, I, I feel like I befriended him. Mm. Like I would have him over for dinner quite often um, on the Sunday, you know, when people, you know, he's a kid really, he's only, you know, well, you know, he's by himself. And I don't like people to be lonely, so, and I enjoy his company. So he'd come over and eat with us and just chat and laugh. I think it's just, a lot of it is about, for me, about um, getting to that place where you are close enough and you, they trust you enough, there's enough trust in the room to be experimental, to try things, to be unafraid of failing together. Because, you know, I, I think a lot of directing is about failing again and again and again. If you think about how much you shoot and how much you keep, you know. <laughs> I don't know what everyone's ratio is, but usually it's about <laughs> 30 to 1. So, you know, um, 29 times you didn't do it so well and one time it worked, you know. <laughs> I don't want to share her, but I will. So if anybody has a question. Oh, that's a good question. What was the biggest thing that surprised me? Um, the impact of the pandemic on our shoot. You want to yeah. talk about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit. It's probably gone on quite long now already, but I'll... Um, okay, all right. Um, well, when it happened, we just finished our exteriors, and honestly, I was so relieved. I thought, what can go wrong now? <laughs> Two weeks later, <laughs> we, were, we were shut down, and, it, you know, it was such a remarkable and terrifying moment kind of exciting but also deadly for the world and I mean I know in America people suffered terribly badly um, but I honestly thought that might be it for the film and I thought think that was a reasonable thought at the time nobody knew what the future was mm. and um, in New Zealand they took it terribly seriously we were closed down for like um, eight weeks and then it was all gone COVID had disappeared and slowly people got confidence and, you know, we wrote to the ministers and we've got to have a strategy for opening up or bringing people in and that was all achieved finally and, and we got going. But in that time, um, I learned to sleep <laughs> and um, I looked at the footage and I learned so much. And, you know, like if I could manage every shoot in that way, like to have a, a two-month gap... <laughs> shoot half, have a good look and then come back. I think it would be so empowering. Like that my dear friend Cody says, oh yeah, when you came back you really had a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was like um, I was refreshed, you know. I, I felt like, oh, that's what we did well, that's what we didn't do so well, I want more of this and not so much of that. You know, I did feel like I got a really sharpened perspective on what I want to do and I really recommend actually 
if you do have an interior shoot, an exterior shoot, an obvious reason, you know, to at least fake a reason to have a break. A do mutation, it, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. A another pandemic. Yeah. Um, what, uh, do you remember what the kind of big paradigm shift was by taking that time off? When you came back, what was kind of Well, clear? for one thing, um, like I figured out the, the, the end of the film. Like in, previously, um, he just went back to making his paper flower. He made a, a beautiful rose for rose um, out of a paper flower. But later I went like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Having seen some of the exterior shoot with, um, with Ben and um, Cody, I... I felt that there was more going on, you know, like that actually um, Phil had an impact on Peter. Mm. You know, it wasn't just a touche thing, got your big boy. It was um, that Phil choosing Peter and bringing him close was a big compliment for a boy like him. And um, I think that he enjoyed that. I think he, that helped him. It gave him attention and uh, there was love there. And, you know, I think in a way, in a profound way that Phil was going to probably be Pete's Bronco Henry. That came through very much. So what I recall is this... The so, yeah, so therefore I realised it was the rope. Right. That would be the, the object at the end, you know, the, the rope that... I, you know, I knew was super important. I even wrote a little essay about it to share with this, the crew. And then I didn't even get the mini myself till so what was that the, point. What did you add? Was it the putting it under the bed? Well, that was he it? should hold it there instead right. of a paper flower. You know, right. that the rope was the object of meditation. It's what they made together. What symbolised their friendship, and was also the murder weapon, and um, also the erotic object. You know, under the bed. You know, the memory of of of, um, of of what it is to be attracted to a man and a man to be attracted to you. I was guessing, yeah. <laughs> so you already had the looking through the window at the mother. Yes, that was that was always going to be there. You had that, and then yeah, him we'd turning. Shot that, yeah. Him turning with that smile. Yes, that was always there. Yes, but the thing that got transformed was the something to do with the rope. Yes, that's right. I mean, that was also always going to be shot on the uh, set, you know. But we we only shot the the exterior shot with the you know. With Peter looking out the window with the car and everything on on the location set. When he says the word, you are naked. Naked, yeah. That really that. got me this time. <laughs> you know, you just, you see the wheels turning for him. Yeah, that was a funny one because at one point we had a lot more dialogue in the scene and Phil, you know, Ben being Phil, he came in that day and says, I'm not saying that stuff. <laughs> what did he not want to say? And, and you know what, I was so pleased he said that because I had my suspicions too that, you know, there was that other page and a half of dialogue wasn't needed. And I, at one point I thought, like, I just want Johnny Greenwood's music there, you know. Like, this is a love scene, you know. Um, but I said, to, um, I said to Ben, Phil, uh, all right, all right, let's get rid of most of it, but can we keep naked? <laughs> and, and he said, all right. <laughs> It really worked. And, um, yeah, so it was one of those good uh, those, uh, good collaborations, you know, between myself and Phil Ben, <laughs> my boss. Yeah. We had, we had a lot of sort of funny arguments on set, you know, like, oh, yeah, what's your question? 
No. Well, you know, like, because he was in the, he was always Phil, and, you know, I had to sort of realise that whatever he was giving me was just some Phil wind-up, you know, like him sort of circling into it. So I would just bat back to him, you know, like, oh, that's enough of that, let's just do it now, Phil. <laughs> and I noticed in my body I didn't feel afraid, you know, it wasn't like I was being threatened at all. By him patter. challenging you? Yeah, no. No, it was just like, that's what he likes, you know. Yeah. Have you ever felt threatened? Not physically, but like it, it creatively, that you didn't know when there was that dissonance? Um, obviously not very often. I, I, I'm thinking that I've so learned to take the, the compassionate point of view towards the actor that even if they yelled at me, I would just think, oh, they're upset. You know? <laughs> um, I would probably say, oh, it'd be really good if you could find another way to express that. Because <laughs> it was getting me a little agitated. <laughs> and they respond pretty well to that. I think people do, yeah. Um, they, the truth is always really helpful, you know, when you're talking to people or... I mean, actually, half, you know, I had a fight when it comes to that, I remember now. But it was... And then we had a beautiful makeup. You know, like, and then you could, you know, it was like he said in the end, I'm sick of you telling me what to do. And I said, well, <laughs> I get that. I understand. You know, it's horrible. I don't like to be told what to do either. And he says, I know, I know, I'm the actor, but, you know. <laughs> it was just like he'd had enough. And, and I think I probably told him what to do too much too. You know, I've learned to shut up more. Yeah, I've learned to let things happen more. And suggest, you know. Right. Well, I just may I just say I met Jane twenty over twenty years ago. I was at Columbia, and uh, she has been such a great inspiration to me. And uh, I'm thrilled thank to you. be thank able you. to thank be in conversation. Tonight, yes, so, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. The Power of the Dog is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company.